Oh, hey there. Want to achieve immaculate dopeness in your career? Well, just having the skills alone is probably not going to cut it. You got to have a strong personal brand as well. Having a personal brand is how you're able to put your stuff out in front of people who care and build value for everyone in your communities. If personal branding is on your mind and you have not yet checked out the Discover Your Inner Awesome Masterclass, the F is wrong with you. <laughs> for, for real though, go to www.discoveryourinnerawesome.com. That's where we've got all the information about our signature 10-week personal brand boot camp called the Discover Your Inner Awesome Masterclass. You'll learn to craft your voice, build a tribe, and get recognized for the things you are passionate about. Again, that's www.discoveryourinnerawesome.com. Head over there and apply for a seat in our program. On now with the show. He sits at this window all day long, and when there's a cat. Oh my God, that was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I've never been put in such a vulnerable position. I'm pressing hard now just to feel the ignition. My heart. Welcome back to another edition of Idea Lemons Discover Your Inner Awesome Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, my name is Rajiv Nathan, aka Raj Nation. I am the Idea Lemon co founder and your show's co host. And as always, I'm alongside my co founder and co host, Mr. McFly, Martin McGovern. This is Discover Your Inner Awesome, the only show where you get to eavesdrop on conversations with entrepreneurs, artists, and musicians about the stories, the journeys, the struggles, but most importantly, the questions. The questions that help us better understand who we are, what we're doing, and how we can do it better. In this episode, we chill with Stacy Garonsky. Stacy's a writer at TheMuse.com. If you're not familiar with The Muse, check them out. Great career resource. And we explore the question of loyalty, company loyalty. Have you thought about that before and how loyal should you be to your employer and vice versa? How loyal should they be to you? Well, we unpack that entirely and answer the question, why does loyalty matter? Before we get started, quick reminder and special invitation, if you are not a member of our tribe already, I am speaking these words with an outstretched hand, just waiting for you to come join our totally dope tribe over at idealemon.com. All you got to do is subscribe to our email newsletter. It's totally free. You will never miss an episode of this show and a whole lot more. All right, let's dive in now to our conversation with Stacy Garonsky of The Muse. Why does loyalty matter? Let's listen in. I think when we were talking about loyalty and how much loyalty you owe your company or your boss or your team, if there isn't a sense of loyalty, then I don't think you can have any kind of job security. But I think that there needs to be some kind of, of line drawn. Um, I, I personally am always frustrated when people equate hard workers with the first one in the office in the morning and the last one to leave at night. I don't think... I don't think that's the kind of loyalty that I'm thinking of. Um, I think you've you've got to believe in what your organization is doing because if you don't, how are you going to get excited to go to work every day or even feel okay about the work you're doing? Um, but I don't know. You know, it, it's interesting. I mean, how should loyalty be expressed on a day to day basis? 
I, I kind of like what you said there about um, how do you you know be excited about going into work every day. And I think one of the things that I've seen come up over and over again that the reason people lose the excitement or lose uh, the drive is because they're so separated from the results, right? Mm, yeah. And so like when you are the founder and you see every metric and you see the outcomes and you see all that stuff, right? You, you are very much tied to the results and can see every day why this matters. Whereas I think a lot of employees don't always know how they fit and don't right. always know, um, you know, they're, they're, they're not talking to the customer necessarily. They're behind the scenes doing coding or something like that. And they're disengaged from the results. Have you seen that sort of play into it at all? Yeah, I think that's a matter of not seeing the big picture because you don't have knowledge of the big picture. Um, and I've had experiences in the past, um, not at the Muse, but where, you know, a lot of employees complained that they just they were doing the day to day tasks that were you know assigned to them and, and what they needed to get done in a given week, in a given month. But it gets harder and harder to do that and feel good about doing that if you don't know what the big picture is. But finding out what the big picture is, it's either has to be, I think, a pretty transparent senior level people who are giving regular updates on the company and the direction and if things are changing and how they're changing. Or it could be as simple as just, you know, having a really strong rapport and relationship with your your boss, your manager, and trying to learn. I mean, is it a, is it a situation where you're sort of burying your head in the details and that's why you can't see the big picture or is it because the company isn't being as transparent as it could be? Hmm. I think, yeah, that's a good point. And this idea of knowing the big picture, really what that does is it allows you to see if your values align with one another. And that's kind of the core of being satisfied with anything that you're doing that involves someone else is do the values align? Because if they right. don't, you may not realize it at first, but at some point it's going to show, it's going to come across that it's not a good pairing and whether that's, and whether that's working for someone, whether that's dating someone even, yeah. uh, if you don't share a certain set of core values, it's, it's a mismatch. Right. And I also think just going back a minute about that idea of, um, I think there are other ideas about not being excited to go into work. It's not necessarily knowing what's going on on sort of like the larger scale. I think that um, if we're talking about loyalty and um, people leaving a company and getting let go or getting fired, if you're working somewhere and you're seeing that happen regularly, I think that also adds to job frustration and maybe questioning of loyalty. Um, you know, if you work with, I mean, this is maybe very too far off topic, but if you, you work, you know, you say if like a work wife or husband and, you know, that person gets let go and that was the person you talked to every day and that was the person you vented to, you both kind of liked your job or really liked it, but who knows. Um, I think it's hard to sort of, again, keep your eye on the bigger picture if you're sort of bummed about something like that or it makes you question your own security. Yeah. And a lot of that too is how well does the company communicate what's going on? Right. Um, so to that specific point, when I left, you know, the only employer I had out of college um, prior to doing Ideal Women full time, when I left that company, there was uh, a coworker who I was good friends with who had told me how she had told her boss after she found out I was leaving that um, she, you know, she talked to her boss 
and was like, you know, I'm really frustrated with the way things are going here. Raj is leaving. Like, she's like one of our, you know, our coolest and best people who work here is leaving and. Uh, and humblest. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm direct <laughs> quoting her. <laughs> and uh, she's like, he's leaving. And, the you know, the company really didn't do anything to try and keep him. And then, mm. you know, and she told me that story about yeah. her conversation with her boss. And I was like, well, I, like, I was like, hold on here because the company really did try to keep me. Okay. I just was convinced that my time here was done and I didn't, I no longer shared the same set of ideals or shared the, the feeling of where the company was headed with something that I wanted to be part of anymore. But the company actually did sit me down and say, we, like, we want to do whatever we can to keep you here. And I think those kinds of things, and it's tough from an employer perspective to be able to communicate every intricate conversation that goes on, but the immediate uh, reaction this person had was, Raj is leaving. Oh, the company must have just pushed him out or tried right. not to, tried not to keep him at all, which the exact opposite was true. Yeah, and I mean, I don't think that in you know a farewell email, if if that's what happened when you left. I mean, that's what you see at a lot of companies now is the the manager, you know, writing. You know, if someone's leaving voluntarily, we we get it. We get it both ways at the muse. Actually, if someone's leaving voluntarily or if someone's being let go, you know, they sort of send an email out. Um, I think trying to sort of calm everyone into like, okay, this this has been an ongoing conversation, so everybody like relax this or that. But they're not. I don't think there's the responsibility to, you know, go into the details that that this woman thought, okay, well they didn't even try to keep him or they pushed him out. I mean, that's that's asking a bit much and would you agree? Yeah, I I, I think yeah, it would probably cuz you have a, you'd have an email every day then yeah. from, from <laughs> right. an executive saying, yeah. so this is the conversation we had, but don't worry, everything's cool." So there is that fine line on the employer side of how much do you because you can't, you can't well, under communicate, but you can't over communicate. Right. You've got to you've got to look at why that was her first assumption. Right. So mm, like yeah. the, the real thing is like, why did she jump to that conclusion? Because she already had some, a thought in her head of what the company was like and was projecting that on this situation. And so you, that's I mean, that's really what it is, because they I, going back to what you were saying earlier, um, you know, what makes people leave companies? It's like the number one reason someone will leave a company, even if they like that company is because of the manager. So like, right. like I, I don't know what, the, I don't know what the exact stat is, but I've heard that stat before. And it's like a bad manager makes more people leave a good company than anything else. And so if you, if you go, if you kind of get down to the trust aspect of all of this, like, do you trust your company? And then do you trust the manager that you have? Uh, you might work at a great company uh, like, I don't know, Google, Apple or whatever, insert company here. Um, but if you've got the worst manager at that company, that's going to be a hard time for you no matter what. Right. But does do you need to like your manager to trust them? I think those can be separate. Obviously, getting over just really disliking someone is, is going to be extremely difficult. But... I wonder if the trust aspect is there, if you can sort of learn to like someone better. I think, I, you know, it's tough if it's someone who's directly managing you. Right. Because there are people at that company, like, for a long time. I mean, most people I liked at the company, but there's actually a few people specifically who I have in mind who uh, I remember just not liking the person. But because I didn't work directly with them on a day-to-day, -day, I still trusted their work. And mm -hmm. I still trusted them to do what they needed to do. And actually, in one of those cases, it kind of came to a head where 
I was like, well, I feel like you hate me <laughs> and I don't like you because of that. And then I was like, no, I don't. This is just, I'm just kind of a jackass personality. And I was like, oh, you're like this with everyone. Okay. We can be cool now. <laughs> and we ended up having a really good relationship after that. But uh, that person was not someone who I reported to. So I, I know personally for me, and maybe it's a personality thing. Because I know for me, if I don't like the person who I have to be working with every day, it's going to be very hard for me to get over that, even if I do trust what they do. Yeah, I I agree. But so then what are your options? I mean, you have to leave the company. I mean, you can't ask for a new boss, right? Perhaps you can. Um, I mean, I think people switch departments, not regularly, but it is a thing. Yeah. yeah, switching departments. I, I mean, I think that, you know, we're starting to even see that at the Muse, um, you know, there have been people, I think, kind of poking around, finding out how do they switch to a different department. And, um, you know, HR and, and the CEO seem to be really open to that if it's the right fit. But, I mean, that has to be something that you you really want to make a, a big change. So, yeah. you know, if you like everything about your job except your boss, you know, switching departments isn't probably the answer. Well, then, and maybe, you know, perhaps one of the solutions is find something new. But on the other hand, I would say the reason why we tend to not, you know, like people, whether it's in a work setting or otherwise, a lot of it has to do with how do we, how do we react to their communication style? So in that case that I just mentioned with myself and that other guy in the company, it was like, it, it it was really a matter of I thought the way he communicated to me was very harsh and terse. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really kind of what it boils down to is does this person communicate in a way that you respond well to? And I think if that's what it boils down to, then that's a conversation that can be had about how do we communicate better with one another instead of you're a horrible person, therefore <laughs> this is not going to work. Right. So th- having an actual direct conversation yeah. 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 I I think the importance of communication, you know, can never be overestimated. Um overestimated, yeah. Um I, <laughs> I think you know, I mean, those can be awkward, hard conversations to have and we we try to write pieces on that because it seems like everybody wants to know how to navigate, you know, those awkward conversations. Um but I think if you want to be happy and if you if you want to have a sense of loyalty, you know, for your job, you're going to have to learn to have some of those discussions. Yeah. And I really think because I almost feel like if even if you don't like someone, if you trust them, you can have a conversation. Right. Right. And so if we expand this back out to what sort of kicked off this entire idea and we take a look at like. All right. So this kind of came out of this concept uh, from an article you received about millennials feeling entitled and how the new standard for the length of time that you're at a job is two years and kind of questioning why is that? Why is there no more loyalty um, from from the employee side? And then you kind of broaden out the perspective a little bit and you realize, well, there's no there's no loyalty on the employee side because there's no loyalty on the employer side anymore. There's no pensions or retirements coming up for anyone like retirement I've, since college I've been told that retirement is not a thing to even think about because it won't be there and really so, yeah I mean like pretty much like social security all these social things security, like, yeah they just don't or exist anymore like you can't get pensions anymore pretty much these are the things that I've been told I have no yeah. idea the validity of any of them but yeah like even 401ks people are, like the new mantra is 
right now, all that matters is how much can you earn. So you have to focus on earning, not saving. And earning is a lifestyle thing. It's not just, you know, get a job. And so like these are the new mantras that are coming out. And it's kind of turning from like um, this conversation of being loyal to any company. You don't know if that company is going to be around in four years because their industry might get disrupted by technology and they'll all go out of business. And so with all the uncertainty that's happening in the world, that's the reason that loyalty is disappearing. And so you could be really loyal to a, an idea of a company, a brand new startup, and then, you know, they got too much funding and didn't know how to manage it. And all of a sudden they're going under. And now you've got to keep keep figuring out the next step. And so what maybe are the key pieces of loyalty? Like if we take a step out of the actual day-to-day job that you're currently in, what sort of loyalty exists in our life that is going to help us no matter what happens? If the if the job stays there for 20 years, if the job disappears tomorrow, what other ways can we look at loyalty to see how we can build kind of loyal people in our lives that will help us no matter what the situation is? Yeah. I mean, the word commitment is the first word that came to my mind. Um, I mean, I think you have to be committed to something um, or someone in order to receive and give that loyalty. Um, I think reliability is another important word that maybe doesn't get used enough um, professionally. I think it's especially important now in companies that are offering um flex hours or, you know, unlimited vacation or the ability to work from home. You know, I think if you can prove yourself to be a reliable employee, um, that is linked in a way to loyalty, I would say. I mean, different, but there's a connection there. Um, And I think that the companies that, uh, you know, it's hard to say in terms of what you were saying about, you know, I wrote down here a note, two sides to every story, sort of, you know, like people are leaving after a couple of years and it's because they don't feel any kind of commitment or loyalty from their employer, but then the employer doesn't feel anything. So where does it, you know, where does it cycle stop? Mm -hmm. You know, how do we make that better or do we need to? A couple of things from that. So the, the reliability aspect is huge. Um, And I think that applies to any type of relationship because there are certain people, as you said, that I have in my, who came up in my mind who I'm like, I will not recommend them for things or like if, you know, if they were to write me and say like, hey, could you introduce me to so-and-so? Like I would not because I, I don't view them as reliable people and I don't want that to reflect mm-hmm. poorly on me that I endorse that person. Mm-hmm. So that's a huge aspect and I do think it plays into loyalty because it comes back to trust, right? If right. I, if I can't trust you to follow through on something, I'm not going to want to put my neck out for you. And the other side of it is in terms of what was the last thing you said um, before I started? Uh, I I was talking about um, how, you know, the employer doesn't feel, you know, a loyalty because they feel like the employee doesn't feel the loyalty or isn't going to stick around. But then, you know, the employee is feeling that. So it's sort of like, it's just this tug of war, you know, and yeah, that's okay. doesn't that's need right. to stop, you know? That's right. So yeah. And on that note, that's, that's where I think sort of the, the communication dynamic has to shift to where we, everyone has to stop acting like 
the employer can guarantee your employment forever and the employee wants to stay forever. Right. That is a facade that needs to be torn down and replaced with, I'm trying to develop myself in a certain way. And the employer can say, we want to help develop you in that way. Mm -hmm. The moment when you no longer feel like you can, you need to develop that thing anymore or that you want to be fulfilled in a different way, it's the employer's, in my mind, it's the employer's job to respect that decision and say, how do we help you in the best way possible, either in something else within this company or moving on? Uh, after this, we're actually doing a second podcast today uh, with a guy named Christian, who at his company, I mean, he was telling us, he's like, my job is to make sure everyone here is feels fulfilled. I mm. hope that's here. If not, I want to do whatever I can to to help them be fulfilled in their career otherwise. Wait, so you're telling me you didn't have to do vows when you signed your contract? <laughs> I was yeah, like, I was like, till death do us part. That's blood. a good point, though, right? People, there's <laughs> this, there's this, you know, this image built up that it is a till death do us part, but yeah. that's not the case. You know, no one's working right. at 3M for 45 years anymore. Yeah. No, right. But I went to an event um, last week um, for women, New York Women in Communications. And I was talking to uh, a woman who had been at L'Oreal, very high up for some 30 years. And I asked her what she thought about millennials job hopping. And she was very clear on saying that they move too quickly and they don't give places a chance and they aren't, they aren't learning enough before they make their moves. But that's coming from someone who, whose generation got a job and stayed in it. Yeah. It's, it's just a totally different of way of looking at things. And I think the idea of having someone at a company who's whose job, this guy Christian, to make sure that people are fulfilled is really interesting. I think every company should be looking at ways, though, to do that. Is that a sabbatical after four or five years of employment? Um, you know, is that just different kinds of freedom or new projects or one foot in the door in this department? I mean, there are really some interesting ways of going about it, right? It's just getting companies, I think, comfortable or, or the employers comfortable with these kind of innovative ways of doing things. Yeah, and I think one of the things, one of the reasons people like to move around is because they don't want to get stuck in something, right? So mm -hmm. if you're doing the same job for five years and you're not learning new technologies in that role or anything like that, you know if you ever lose that job, you're behind the market now. And so you're constantly trying to find ways to, to maybe escape so you can go learn some new skills. And I think part of that has to do with like, are you know, is it your responsibility to develop your own learning? Is it the company's responsibility to develop your learning? I'm sure there's a middle ground in there somewhere. Um, but I think it's when people get sort of stuck that this starts to become a real issue. Right. And I think studies have actually shown, you said something about, you know, five years. I think the sweet spot for moving on is between two to five years, Um which is probably to to companies that really want to hold on to people and really value loyalty, you know, probably freaks them out. But I think can you be loyal for a couple of years and and still maintain a good relationship when you leave? I mean, you're not you don't have to burn a bridge, um, but it's hard. It's hard because it is like a relationship ending, you know, when you leave a job yeah. in a lot of ways. And to go back to what you were saying with the L'Oreal woman. And how she's like, I think millennials are job hopping too much. They're not learning enough. 
Yeah. There is some merit behind that because I think a, a, a reason why us millennials, <laughs> yeah. why that happens and why we do that is because too many of us are focused on what's my resume going to look like? And they're worried about how do they make sure that their resume is always looking great instead of, am I learning something? Am I developing a skill that matters to me? Because if you're focused on developing a specific skill or skill set, you'll be cool staying at a job for five years if it's still in the interest of developing that skill set. Mm -hmm. If you're yeah. worried about it's going to look bad on my resume if I've got three years at one company, then yeah, she had like that L'Oreal woman has a lot of merit to what she's saying because you're worried about the wrong things then. And it's, you know, a lot of this happens, I think, because of what I call the Tinder effect, which is, you know, the dating app Tinder. We mm -hmm. don't yeah. want it like, you know, you'll start going on dates with someone, but you won't want to commit to that person because you can always swipe and find someone new. Right. And I think, you know, well, I don't want to be too niche here, but I was thinking about just like the digital landscape and how that is just like, obviously in tech has just really changed the job market and, you know, people are getting contacted. I mean, via sites, like, I mean, you know, LinkedIn didn't exist, you know, 30 years ago or 40 years ago when this woman was first getting her job and then getting her foot in the door there. But now, I mean, people have opportunities coming to them sometimes. I think, I think your point about the resume is important, but I also think that salary is a big reason people, people jump. And I think that in, in a lot of ways, money trumps this sort of sense of loyalty. That's a good point. Yeah. And well, and going back to what you were saying about like other offers, as Chris Rock says, you're only as uh, faithful as your options. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there you go. Um, but yeah, I mean, because when, so when you started a company, you, it's one of the reasons you've got to negotiate a starting salary that you're, that you can work with for a couple of years because what's the standard raise three to 5% probably, unless you're making a big jump or moving into a, a way, you know, senior position or something like that. Right. But whereas if you actually get a new job, you're, you're starting from the beginning with negotiating and you could say, you know, give a number that's, that's 10 grand, 15 grand higher than what you were making. Yeah. And, and I think that there's a level of managing expectations as well. Um, because like the way that the, like there's a huge startup culture movement in media right now that glorifies startups to this insane uh, extent. Yeah. And I, and I talk to people all the time and we were just at some panels this week and, uh, I went to this thing for, uh, it was how to get a job at a startup. And everyone I talked to there was like, well, I want to work at a startup because I want to be able to manage projects, do strategy and control the project and, you know, get all the results and the outcomes. And it's like it's in the media landscape that that's what everyone says you get to do if you're at a startup. But if you're working at a startup, that's not actually what the job is. The job is just running around with your hair on fire trying to like, <laughs> do everything. And so... What I think is really interesting as you talk to people is there's a huge difference between the expectation and the reality of what the job is that they're doing. And I know I had this in my first career where I got there expecting like this is what advertising was or this is what mm -hmm. marketing was. And then you get there. It's like 
my entire perspective of advertising was based off a Sony Bravia commercial that I loved. And I was like, I just want to make commercials like that that are art. And then you get into it. Wait, you should have gotten into video production. I know. I'm like, no one told me that that advertisers just hire video studios to do that stuff and artists do that stuff. And that you're just sitting there moving paper around. And like, that was just my experience. But I notice a lot of people when it comes to the money, when it comes to the description, when it comes to all these different things... They're they're reading words or they're believing the media hype and instead of actually figuring out what this thing is that they're committing to. And then two years in, they're like, why am I still doing this? And they have no yeah. idea why. And on that note, I think that happens because, I mean, I know this happened with me when I was interviewing. We don't know what questions to be asking in that interview. And we, we ask what we think they want to hear us ask. So it's like what's a typical day or like, uh, you know, like, yeah. like how would you describe this company in five words? And it's, and it's, you, you ask these questions in your mind. You're like, I really don't even care what answer. How's I get the back. bathroom toilet paper? <laughs> There's just, what are the snacks? Yeah. <laughs> uh, what, how would you describe the culture? Right? Like these are the kinds yeah. of things. You guys have beer on Fridays. Woo. Yeah. And, and I'll tell you the answer to everyone's answer. When you say, when you ask, what's a typical day here? They'll be, well, every day is different. Like yeah. Every single person is going to say that. Yeah. So I think it comes back to asking better questions. And it's very tough, you know, especially for someone who's coming out of college to know those kinds of things. But I think that comes back to, to be able to ask someone else the right questions and better questions. You've got to ask yourself better questions. Because if you're only asking yourself, what job do I want? What title How much, do I want? Yeah, what title do I want? How much money mm-hmm. do I want to make? And what city do I want to live in? These are all surface level questions. Yeah. Unless you're asking yourself, like, how, in what way do I want to be fulfilled? You know, what do I care? What skill do I care about developing? What are the things I want to be remembered for? What conversations do I want to be? What conversation do I want to be a part of? A few years down the line, if you're not asking yourself those questions, how can you possibly think to ask those to someone else and expect to even get a good answer out of them? Yeah, that's so true. I, I wonder, though, are we also, you know, glo- talking about how everyone wants to work at a startup? I mean, are we glorifying startups? I think startups To some extent, is the media? Oh, yeah. The startup culture and is so overblown. And there's nothing wrong with startups. No. Don't get me wrong. I, right, I, no. I like startups as well. But there's a, there's a, I think there's a I large... I just hate the media. <laughs> <laughs> as, as you say to a media member. <laughs> I know. Yeah. <laughs> no. No, but so I think that this idea of, you know, I think that startups that try to, you know, it's such a broad thing to say, but that try to sort of gain loyalty via perks, I think there's a real problem with that. I think that that's an issue that hopefully more millennials are starting to recognize, you know what, I don't care about, you know, unlimited vacation days as much as I care about whatever kind of, you know, work they're getting to do or involved in. Um, so I think that's interesting. There's more of our conversation with Stacy Garonsky in just a moment. But first, let's pause for a second and talk about what makes a truly dope personal brand. A truly dope personal brand is one that creates lifetime value. So for instance, let's take this podcast. Every time you tune in, that's us creating value for you. And in order for you to create value for people you care about, you've got to go from being just a spectator or a participant in things you enjoy to being a creator, to producing things that other people want and care about and look to you for your guidance and leadership. That's what a dope personal brand is about. And if that sounds appetizing to you, then we want you in the Discover Your Inner Awesome Masterclass. 
That's our 10-week online personal brand bootcamp where you get lifetime membership to not only the course, but our amazing growing community of rock stars. In fact, Claudia just posted in our group, I just want to give a quick thank you to Martin and Raj for the quality of this class. It has been great and motivating. My initial expectation was that it would help me work on my branding and figure out my why, but I got much more out of it. I love the positivity and support of this group. So if you want to work on your personal brand, if you want to build a truly dope personal brand and have a voice in your field with a following who loves you, go to www.discoveryourinnerawesome.com and apply to join our class. Again, www.discoveryourinnerawesome.com. Back now to our conversation with Stacy Garonsky. A ping pong table, a loyal, a loyal right. employee does not make. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and the, yeah, those are good points because you could have unlimited vacation days, but truthfully, if you're really, if you really enjoy what you do, you're not thinking about how much, how many days can I take off? How yeah. many days can I not do what I enjoy? Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> and, you know, I, at the company I worked at, by the time I finished, I had 25 vacation days after three and a half years of working no there. No one reason. And, and I, I mean, I gave them, it was a one month like exit for me. Like it was, it was, yeah. a, it was definitely like a, a waltz out. <laughs> yeah. And it was like, I, I still had five days left over that I was like, well, I'm just going to keep those. So they pay them back to me when I'm gone. And right. I remember the year before it was like, I had 20 days vacation and three rolled over to the next year. Mm, yeah. And all this. I, I might've actually had 28 days when I left wow. uh, for that final year. But um, the, these perks, right? These are the things that are seen to be the important aspects. And to that, uh, a few years ago, I actually, I wrote, I published an article on, I think under 30 CEO.com um, about this exact thing because the company where I worked had a great culture. And, and I have this theory that I, had written about called the 70% rule, which is the idea that functionally your job will never be 100% of what you would envision your job to be. Cause there's always like administrative things that just have to get done. Right. Um, yep. and, and like things you hate doing, you have to do because that's what comes to the territory of working. Yeah. Even as, even now that we have our own business, we still have to do a lot of things every week that we don't, we, we don't like doing, but we have to do because they need to get done. Now, knowing that it's not 100%, it's actually nowhere near even 50%. In reality, in my mind, it's right around 30% is what you will actually be doing in your functional job. So when you picture like your dream job and what you would be doing every day, you really only will ever get 30% of that. But if that's the case, there's got to be something has to make up this 70% gap. And that, Mm -hmm. in my mind, is the 70%. And this is like the equation of, of employee happiness and workplace happiness is the 70% is combined of do I like who I work with and do I get the respect I feel I deserve? A ping pong table is not respect. Right. Um, but, not if you play that way. <laughs> but respect comes in a handful of fashions. That's can I voice my opinions and feel like they'll be heard? Do I have an understanding of how my role fits within the larger picture of the company? Like we said at the beginning of this. Yeah. Um, can I have honest conversations with my boss? Am I paid what I think is the right payment for me? Do I have the benefits that I would like to have? These are the kinds of things that matter. And when you have those, like, you know, it doesn't like, cause I, I wrote this, that article a few years ago because I was really happy at my job with that, you know, that equation in play. And I had a lot of friends who worked at the, and I worked at a small marketing agency and I had a friend, I had friends who worked at these larger marketing and advertising agencies where it was the glorified, like, 
you know, beer cart 3 p.m. every Friday, and it was the, you know, we have a Nintendo Wii in the break room and all this stuff. That no one ever plays. Right, and and, <laughs> yeah. and all these things that you walk into the office, you're like, wow, this is so cool. You know, yoga classes at noon every day or whatever, yeah. that kind of stuff. All those things, they, were, they weren't happy at their jobs because at the end of the day, like, if they only had 30% of what they really liked doing as their job, they were in a position, they were at companies that looked at them as a number, and, you know, if you didn't want to work there anymore, there was a hundred people lining up to take your spot and they didn't, they couldn't really honestly talk to their bosses about certain things. So that's where, like, I totally feel you on the perks aspect is, a, you know, if a Nintendo Wii doesn't matter if, if being seen playing a Nintendo Wii in the office is like, why isn't that person working? Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's so true. Like if you're going to have a nap room, um, you know, you need to let people nap there. Yeah, <laughs> Not that's true. It's like, a, oh, my God, did you see so-and-so go in there? He's been in there for half an hour. <laughs> Came out all bleary-eyed, you know. The best, the best job perk is actually being interested in the topic that you're working on. <laughs> like I like I, yeah. I worked in credit cards for three years, and... I think back to when I was a kid, like I came home from caddying and I probably told this story before, but I had like money all over the bed from, from caddying. And I was like, why would anyone have a credit card? That's so dumb. And then like (laughs) fast forward, I'm working at a credit card company. And if someone had just asked me like, do you want to be talking about credit cards 10 years from now? I'd have been like, hell no. And then they would say, well, then why are you working at a credit card company? And I'd be like, I don't know. (laughs) No one ever asked me that question. So I ended up working there for like, Well, yeah, I think you obviously have to be interested in the topic. I think that's a good point. But I think the 3070 is really interesting as well. I mean, I had a job where I I really liked the work I was doing. The day-to-day, I I felt like I was being challenged and I I just appreciated what I was doing. But I didn't feel respected and I didn't feel like I had a boss that I could really talk to. And so, you know, the sort of flex hours and, and no one monitoring my comings and going didn't, it didn't do anything for me. And it didn't make me feel loyal to the company. And if anything, it made me sort of skeptical of who they were and what they were doing because of the way I felt. Um, So I think that's just such a good point that 70% of it is really who you work with, the conversations you're able to have with your boss. And actually, I would argue that the perk of, I know we talked about, you know, like Wheeze and, uh, you know, beer on Fridays or bagel Wednesdays or whatever. I maybe shouldn't have said the unlimited vacation because I do think that those bigger things like being able to work remotely on occasion or once a week or whatever works for you or being able to come in at 10 and then leaving at 6 or 7, I think those kinds of things are really helpful to people because I think that does add to feeling respected and then in turn, you want to be loyal. You want to be reliable. If you're given those freedoms you want to be responsible with them, I think, for the most part. Not everybody. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And I, I would even put some of the things like if flexible hours are important to you, then that's a respect. That, that falls under re- your vision of respect. Yeah. Um, but unlimited vacation doesn't matter if you don't enjoy the work you're doing right. and the people around you, you don't care and you don't feel like you know you have, you have a voice within the company. Um, it's a mat like though the, the 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 we in the office and the beer and those things kinds of things those are icing on the cake yeah but that's not the batter yeah that's very true and now I'm hungry yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I want to also talk about the idea of loyalty to yourself. We haven't really touched on that yet because, yeah. and this kind of extends beyond the workplace, I think, just in terms of, you know, the things we get asked to do a lot by friends, mm -hmm. by family, by other people. I think one of the first things we give away is the loyalty to ourselves out of a feeling of obligation to other people. And fear of saying no. Yeah, and fear of saying no. Like, um, time mm -hmm. is a huge, is probably the best example of it. We are willing to give away our time so easily. And if we, tr like the only things we have to spend in life are time and money. And if we treated basically money the way we treat time, we would be broke within 45 seconds of walking out onto the street because within 45 seconds of being on the street, there's like a hundred billboards that'll say, buy this thing. So if, so true. and well, time, we don't use like with money. We're like, no, why would I do that? I want to keep my money. But with time, it's like the second someone says, hey, do you want to do this? You say, okay. Uh, hey, can you meet for this? Okay. Um, hey, I'm sending this email at 9 a.m. You got to reply by 9.03 a.m. Okay. <laughs> and we, we whore out our, our calendars to other people. And yeah. that I, I view as a lack of loyalty to ourselves. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think, you know, thinking even the phrase, um, you know, you hear, well, you got to put your time in. And, and while that's well-meaning, that doesn't mean that you should be available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I do think that a lot of, you know, young people entering the workforce and, and millennials who, who want to, to keep rising think they are disloyal to themselves because they think they've just, they've got to be on call and they've got to be available. And if they say no to a project, it, you know, it, they won't be remembered well. So that's, that's a real issue, I think, but I don't know. I think because what I mentioned, I think in the beginning of, or maybe when we were talking about topics, you know, this idea of the hard worker, it's, it's still, you know, oh, the person that's first one in in the morning, last one to leave at night. I still hear that mm -hmm. regularly. And it really kind of grates on me because I just, there are going to be days when you need to work late or put in extra hours, or maybe you have insomnia one night and you wake up and you do all this stuff and you just bang it out and it feels good and you're feeling productive and you like what you're doing. But I think it, it's going to take a lot to change this mindset of like the first one in, last one out equals hard worker. Well, and, uh, and being layered on top of that, so like that still exists. And now layered on top of that is the person who's always available. So right. like I know on Saturday mornings, I was like getting up at 7 a.m. to update a YouTube video and I'm like, no one watches these YouTube videos. Why am I doing this on a Saturday? And it's, it's one of those things where the first thing that jobs ask you for now is your cell phone number. And they're like, once they have that, you're constantly on call. And so you've got your email on your phone. And so you're constantly answering email in the middle of the night. I remember my first job, I'd wake up at 5 a.m. to go catch a train. And the first thing I would do is sort of like panically grab my phone and check email. Ugh. And that, like the amount of stress, I think, that is being put into like which is one thing I think I struggle with the most when I hear people saying that millennials are entitled like the amount of stress that comes with being constantly available in 15 different chat windows yeah over the course of your entire life it, it's it blows my mind and we've gone through like periods um just because you know we we've been able to with the company that we've started of like, okay, we're gonna turn off all notifications. We're not gonna be available to be talked to before 10 a.m. 
We, we like... Yeah, I have a... No, I won't book a meeting before 11 a.m. Yeah, but like we've had to consciously change our entire lives and perspective on work in order to do that, whereas I've never even had that opportunity prior to this. Like, it was whatever time I needed to be there, I had to be there. And yeah. I think that there isn't even a nine to five anymore. It is just, you're working. And, and I, I, you know, I've been doing this career coaching with you guys for a while. And every single person I talk to, their main issue is, I don't have any control anymore. I've lost mm-hmm. complete control to, to the work that I'm doing. Wow. So I wonder if that's if that's tied in a way to if someone does finally decide, you know, I'm going to be loyal to myself, even if they're not putting it in those exact words. That's why people are moving on and trying to find a place where their time is respected because they exist. I mean, I don't answer emails over the weekend. My boss doesn't email me over the weekend. Um, you know, she sort of made it clear. I, I think I'm in a you know pretty good position that, you know, let's when your day is done, your day is done. Um, but I know that that's not the reality and it hasn't been the reality for me in the past. So I wonder if part of the job hopping situation and like this perceived lack of loyalty to the employer is because the employee is, is really trying to find that, that control. Yeah. It's so hard to grasp, you know? And I think we create fantasies around worst case scenarios. If we try to take any of that control back. Like, it's funny, actually, on, on the way in this morning, I was, I, I haven't done this, but I was thinking about just like posting to LinkedIn a status update, just saying like, go a whole day without answering any emails and see if you still wake up tomorrow breathing. <laughs> see, see if the world keeps turning. Well, I'm obviously <laughs> and see if you still attack. have your job. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think people do these. Um, yeah, I've read different experiments. Um, you know, I, I didn't uh, I didn't check email for a week, and here's what happened. Or I only decided to only check email between the hours of you know five and six p.m. Um, but I think because everyone is so tied to all the different social media platforms, it just kind of goes along with it. And so I think people have a really hard time putting those limitations on themselves. I mean, when people are home watching, you know, binge watching or watching Netflix or whatever, you're, you've got your phone right there and you're, you're checking, you know, Instagram and Twitter, and then you're just checking your email because that's all a part of it. So that's going to be, I think that's a hard thing to separate, you know? That's coming from both sides too. Yeah. Yeah. Even if they're not asking you, you're You're still, you're still, yeah. Right. Right. Because you don't want to miss it. Yeah. You don't want to miss it. And that's probably the the adaptation of the of a FOMO mindset. Yeah. Yeah. Even if it's in a negative sense, um, I think a, a kind of a final piece on this that I want to explore is um, so there's that loyalty to yourself, but then I think even compounded into that is essentially if if we're talking for this whole you know hour, why does loyalty matter? Uh, what we haven't really explored yet is who are we trying to align ourselves with that loyalty that a loyalty needs even needs to have a foundation to mm-hmm. um, and I think this ex- this extends into the people you're friends with uh, romantic relationships you have and professional relationships and who you work for etc um, I think we we tend to think that everyone, you know, 
automatically thinks like us and acts like us until we encounter them and they do something differently. And we're like, oh, okay, they don't, you know, they do things this way or whatever. And then we say, what's wrong with them? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And we assume it's their fault or whatnot. And we end up unhappy in a lot of situations because of that, because I don't know if we've ever asked, who do I want to be around and what types of people are important to me? Um, and actually, maybe it goes back to the values thing we talked about a while, uh, you know, earlier on in this conversation. But um, that's an that's a really important question because loyalty doesn't matter. Like you could be loyal to someone you don't want to be around, and that's just like that's just as bad as being disloyal, right? Yeah. But it, you have to figure out who are the people in your in my life who I care to have loyalty to. Because if someone, if you're loyal to someone. And this is like what you'll hear in like, you know, Hollywood with like agents and their assistants. It's like, yeah. you know, it's like you have Ari Gold and uh, Lloyd and Ari's consistently like making race jokes and gay jokes and, and making him like get but his Lloyd coffee and then throwing the coffee yeah. in his face. And it's like, no, but it's loyalty and all that stuff. And they end up having some type of happy ending out of it somehow because Lloyd gets promoted to agent. But the reality is for a lot of these, you know, West Coast like assistants to big people, they just keep getting shit on and shit on only to keep getting shit on and shit on. That's why I think the relationship comparison is so apt all the time. It's like when it, we were talking about like, oh, you're getting emailed over the weekend about work. I mean, that's the same as like, you know, going on a date and having the person send you 700 text messages in one night. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> it's like people are in abusive relationships. Yeah. Um, and you've got to be, but, but people, but it just like in real life with relationships, people get, you know, comfortable in their abusive relationships. And so, you gotta like, I don't know. There's some sort of mindfulness that needs to break that chain. Who was? What was the thing you were saying the other day about? It's like if you are attracted to one thing, you're attracted to the opposite of that same person. Uh, yeah. So, well, the concept was um, whatever you like about someone has an equal negative. So, if someone's an amazing, meticulous uh, writer, mm-hmm. it all and, and they spend. Uh, hours writing every sentence just to make it perfect this was the example of some famous writer well they're probably not going to be someone that really takes that's really punctual because they're the type of person that's going to consider every single option Mm -hmm. before finally deciding to do something so you might set up dinner with them and they won't show up Uh, but they're amazing writers and so like that's the counterbalance and so for every good thing about a company there's probably a bad thing for every bad thing about a company there's probably a good thing and being mindful of what those things are and aware of which ones matter to you, I think is really important. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I think I think you've got to be able to spread, I think, your loyalty around, you know, we're talking about it, you know, within the workplace and then to yourself and to other people. And I think that all speaks to, you know, work-life balance, which obviously is a whole other topic, but but works here a little bit with some of the things we've talked about. And I think you don't have to go into an interview and, you know, tell the hiring manager that you want a company that you can grow with for 10, 15 years. You know, when they say what's your, if people still ask what your five-year plan is, I don't know if they do, or a 10-year plan, you know, you don't have to sit there and construct this answer that you think is going to make them happy. I think you can be true to yourself and be honest about wanting to learn and, you know, uh, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah, and it, it's it's having a, at least you don't have to have the whole picture, but have some grasp over what right. what you actually want. Like, don't think that what you want is what other people want to hear. 
Well, you need to know what your five-year path is to be able to answer that question. Yeah. Not just, uh, what's, what's gonna, where are you going to be in five years? Celebrating the anniversary of you asking me this question. Yeah. <laughs> um, actually, to that one, I had at my last company um, someone who started after I did. Uh, she's a, actually, she is the, our, our season four theme song. Uh, it's, oh, cool. it's her song. Uh, she's a great singer-songwriter. And something she's always done on the side. And I, in, in her interview, uh, our boss asked her, she was like, so do you want to pursue singing full time ultimately? And she told me how she, in that interview, was like, oh, no, like, no, I, you know, like, I'm committed to doing work for companies. And I was like, why would you like, why would you lie about that? Yeah. <laughs> and it's not like she's like destined to become a full time singer. But in, she, I asked her, I was like, but would you like that if it happened? She was like, oh, it'd be amazing. I was like, so tell people that. That's okay that you've got an aspiration that isn't yeah. that doesn't end with being an employee of this company. Right. But I think that's something that, that people struggle with. And then that's that they think they're that that's how they're being loyal. But really, there's some dishonesty there. Because what's going to and, and what will happen is if you are honest about it is people will find ways to help you in that pursuit. Yeah. But if you're if the pursuit you tell people you have is something you do not want, people are going to help you in that pursuit. In that. Yeah. <laughs> right. So it's it goes back to that idea of trust in how important that is. Yeah. If you if you start dating someone and you keep saying I absolutely want to get married someday, but you don't, <laughs> you're going to be kind of yeah. screwed later. <laughs> not okay. Wait, what was that whole marriage talk? <laughs> <laughs> so you're telling me there's a chance. A great, yeah. a great public example of that, if anyone watches Total Divas on E. I do not. <laughs> okay, we're going to move on from that. <laughs> well, John Cena keeps telling his uh, WWE wife, or excuse me, girlfriend, Nicole, that he's told her from day one since they've been, since they've been together was he doesn't want to get married he doesn't want kids and he's always been up front with that and she can't well even though she gets frustrated she can't say you lied to me because it's, it's scripted uh <laughs> no that's a real that's a real oh it's a reality show so yeah it's scripted. <laughs> all right we need to wrap up uh before we do stacy let our listeners know a little bit of background about yourself uh what you're working on and where they can find you Sure. Uh, so I'm the senior editor and writer at The Muse. I've been there about six months. Uh, feels, feels a lot longer. I feel very at home there. Um, I write a lot of sort of our trending pieces. Um, so any kind of study out there about millennials or dream job alerts, um, stuff on retirement, I'll, I'll write that up. Um, and I work with a bunch of our uh columnists and, and contributors on pieces and I can be found at Stace Speaks on Twitter. Um and I mean if you guys want to see pictures of my really cool dog yes. at <laughs> at Stacy One Niner. That's S T A C E Y O N E the number nine ER. Um, <laughs> there's so many ways that could there's have been a spelled. long story behind it, which I won't get into now. But yeah, I've got a really cool dog. Um, so when I'm not, uh, you know, at work, I'm running with him in the park. And uh, so that's, maybe an, that's an Instagram account. Uh, that's my Instagram. Yeah. All right. Cool. Right on. All right. Yeah. To wrap up, we'll go around the room slash, well, you're virtual, so, <laughs> um, and give our respective answer. We'll start with Martin and end with you, Stacey. Um, Martin, why does loyalty matter? 
Loyalty matters because the only thing you can control is is what you do, your actions. And so in order to ever be loyal to anyone else, you need to understand why you are taking the actions you're taking in your life. And uh, so if you if you figure out who you are and you're loyal to that, and then you put that out into the world, people will help you. My answer for why does loyalty matter? Well, as Al Pacino said in Scarface, all I have in this world are my balls and my word. And if that really is the case, which I think is true, you only have like yourself, you have your name, you have the things you care about. Loyalty matters. I'm going to take it to the self angle. If you're disloyal to yourself, the things you believe in and the things you care about, you will constantly feel like something is wrong, something is missing, and that you're you're not where you want to be. Stacy, why does That's loyalty great. matter? So I think it matters first because you get to define it. I think, you know, there's a definition of what loyalty means to you and the lengths you're willing to go to show that loyalty. And I really like the idea of being loyal to oneself as well, because if you're loyal to yourself, that's going to carry through in how you are in all of your relationships, professionally and personally. So if you know what it means to be personally loyal and personally responsible and reliable, that's going to carry forth in your work and everything you do. I love it. Stacy Garonski, thank you for joining yep. us. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks so much. Great chatting with you. That was our conversation with Stacy Garonski from The Muse. Stacy, thank you for joining us. And you know what? This episode comes out just as you come back from your honeymoon. So consider this our wedding gift to you. <laughs> Did you, the listener, enjoy this episode? If so, the best compliment you can give us is a rating and review on iTunes. Ratings and reviews help more people find the show, and thus more people can discover their inner awesome. Awesomes? Awesome. For full show notes, as well as references and where to contact Stacy, we've got those all listed at idealemon.com. So head over there, click on the podcast section, and you'll be able to find all the information from this episode. Well, that'll do it for this one. Thank you again to Stacey Garonski for joining us. For Martin McGovern, I am Rajiv Nathan. You have been listening to the Discover Your Inner Awesome podcast. We will see you next time. But in the meantime, take care and be awesome today. <laughs> <laughs>